starting in chapter 9, verse 1. Listen to the Apostle Paul. Remember, this is a church that Paul founded when he was on a preaching ministry. And uh, a couple of uh, false apostles have come in and trying to separate the church from their spiritual leader, their spiritual father, which was the Apostle Paul. They were telling the church that Paul is not really an apostle. He's a false apostle. Because if he was a real apostle, he would charge you to preach. But since he preaches and he doesn't charge and he keeps his own job, uh, he can't be real. Because if he was real, he would make his living from the gospel, but he chooses to make tents for a living and to be self-supporting. And so you can't trust a guy like that. Think about that. You can't trust a guy that doesn't charge. Unbelievable. But you'd be surprised how people will fall for nonsense. When you don't know the truth, people will fall for anything. But So listen to the Apostle Paul. He's defending himself. And listen to how he says it in the first verse. He says, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen the Jesus our Lord? Listen to these credentials. He goes on to say, are you not my workmanship in the Lord? He's basically saying, you exist as a church because of my preaching ministry. I came to you, you didn't come to me. Jesus sent me to you, and guess what? You used to worship pagans, but now you're worshiping the one and true and living God. If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you. For you are my seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we have not a right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife as do other apostles and the brothers of our Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? He asked this question, who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Paul saying, I do. Who plants a vineyard without eating of its fruit? Paul saying, I do. Who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Paul saying, I do. Do I say these things on human authority? What he's saying is this just plain common sense? He goes, no. Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Obviously no. Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake. Because the plowman should be plowing hope and the thresher threshing hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, listen to his reasoning. Is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim, these false apostles, do not we even more? We're true apostles. Nevertheless, listen to Paul's reasoning. We have not made use of this right, even though I'm an apostle, and I'm your spiritual father, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living from the gospel. But I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provisions. Paul says, I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of the ground of my boasting. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Paul's saying, I have to preach. I have no other option to preach. For I do this on my own will, I have a reward. But if not on my own will, it makes no difference. I'm still entrusted with a stewardship from God. What then is my reward? Paul's saying this. Why do I do all this for? 
What, what am I in it for, Paul is saying. I'm not in it for the money. It's obvious. I would have asked for money. I don't ask for money. I'm not in it for the money. So why am I doing it? Listen, that in my preaching, I might present the gospel free of charge. So, not, as, so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, whether they pay me or not, Paul say. I have made myself a servant to all. And why? Because that I might win more of them. To the Jew, I became a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ. That's written on my heart now. That's what he's saying. That I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. Matter of fact, I've become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control. Least after I preach unto others, I myself should not be disqualified. Let's pray. Father God, help us. Help us to see the clarity. Help us to see what Paul is saying. Help us to understand the great reward that got this man to travel the ancient world by foot, by boat by horse, climbing mountains, crossing oceans, Father God, getting beaten by robbers, Father God, being stoned to death, all for the reward of watching one soul come into the kingdom. God, I ask that you can deposit in this church a single-mindedness, a self-denial like Paul had, Father God, to become a slave to the gospel. Not to ourself as we sung today, God. God, I think most of us had had enough of ourself. We've come to the end of ourself and we're still empty, Father God. Teach this church, teach this pastor, teach us, Father God, to be a slave to no man but to the gospel of Jesus Christ, God. That is our only reward we desire, God. Anything, just want to hear, well done good and faithful servant. Help us to understand Paul's approach in these areas, Father God, and let, let us apply it to our own lives and to sonship ministries, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Okay. This is a different sermon. Who put that up there? Okay. We'll fix that with Satan. I'm not going to go over the last couple of weeks as I went over there. We're going to do a little catching up, what really grasped us. I spoke to, you know, Paul makes himself a slave to the gospel. Let's get something straight as we spoke about the last couple of weeks. Paul was no part-time servant. He was no part-time minister. He gave it every ounce of energy. Everything in him was about Jesus Christ and sharing the, 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 the liberating message of Jesus Christ with other people. He would go far and wide to any audience. 
Americans, big or small, rich or poor, man or woman, Jew or Gentile, slave or free, made no difference to Paul. He wasn't a one-dimensional preacher trying to pick the pockets of the rich. He would go anywhere for the one purpose, as he says, that some may be saved. This is no half-hearted effort on the Apostle Paul. Just a quick application. You want to be used by God, nothing less than a full devotion to God will ever do. Half-hearted devotions don't work in the kingdom of God. You get very little fruit from a little bit of work. It's only when we're totally involved with things change. Jesus says this. If you're going to put your hands to the plow of the gospel, don't turn back. If you're going to bear fruit, you've got to be like a hard-working farmer, Paul told Timothy. And it's the hard-working farmer who's the first to share in the crop. When it comes to spiritual things, it could take many years, even decades, before you see genuine change in people's lives. And it's not for the faint-hearted. Understand something. People read Paul and they think, oh, he was just raising the dead and he was healing the leper and he was doing miracles. And understand something. That was a very little part of his ministry. Most of his ministry was just a lot of hard work. Period. And he is sharing his heart here. He made himself a slave to this message that brings liberty to other people. We need to understand that. We belong to a Christian church that has a message to set people free, not just from the power of sin and the curse of sin, but but of the deceptions of Satan, too. And it takes all in. And so if there's application right away over here, understand something. Gospel ministry is no part-time job. It's no half-hearted effort. we got to be all in and self-reflective. I'll get to that at the end of the message today. He says, what is it for? It's for us. He does it all things to all people. That's how he does it. How do you become a slave to the gospel? What does that mean? Read the Bible eight hours a day. Take a break off, take a nap, read more of the Bible, read more theology. Is Well, listen, you need a good education when it comes, if you're going to be a good preacher, you're going to be a good church leader, you have to have a good, solid theological education. And Paul had it, and Paul also teaches us the study to show ourselves approved. But understand something, in this context, he's talking about interpersonal relationships. What good is if I have all the understanding of Scripture But my personality turns every human being off. What good is that? That, that, For a local pastor, that does no good. If you're an evangelist and you can raise the dead, you can get away with being mean. (laughs) But not long. Local pastor, you're going to be part of a local congregation. We're in it for the long haul. As I shared a couple, I've been sharing this a lot lately. You know, for Paul the Apostle, he can actually go into a foreign land, didn't even speak the language, but he could proclaim the gospel, and, and miraculous things would happen, and people would, people would get saved. You know, but we're local ministers. What, we, what Paul saw in a short period of time, it could take us decades. And are you willing to walk the extra mile and turn your cheek week in and week out? Are you willing? Do you want your family to be saved? Are you praying for them on a daily basis? Are you turning the cheek every time they laugh at you and they give you the nervous laughter? Are you continuing to stay with them and love them and endure all things with them for the sake of the gospel? Or do you just want to wave a magic wand and watch somebody saved? It's not going to work. There's no staying power in it. It does not show the love of Christ. God's love is not just kind, but it's forbearing. 
It goes so far beyond. It can be insulted. It can be persecuted. But we still carry on for the sake of the gospel. This is no cookie-cutter approach. Paul has become a very accommodating human being, very kind, very patient. Remember his background. He was a Jewish religious all-star. And if you are a Jewish religious all-star of the Pharisees, you like nobody else but a Jew who obeyed the law. Anybody who was not Jewish, you didn't like him. If you were Jewish and didn't obey the law, you didn't like them either. That's who Paul was before he was converted. But this man was so radically changed by what Christ has done for him, he could not get his mind on himself anymore. It was all on to the gospel and on to people. This is a man that was just a religious stalwart in Judaism, and now his heart is open to everybody. Jew and Gentile, his ministry had an effect on the homosexual on the lesbian, on on the thief, on the criminal, on fraud, on every type of personality out there, Paul was so accommodating that when he preached, it touched a prolifera of different human beings. This man did not have some one-dimensional approach. He could accommodate himself to all types of personalities. You might say, well, Brian, he was Betz's disposition. That is not Paul's disposition. We got to go back to square one. He was a converted Pharisee. Doesn't Pharisee carry like a negative connotation? You know, Pharisee, you know. But understand something. They were trained. You know what it means? It means a separatist. It means to be separated onto the law. He was a slave of Moses. Now he's a slave of the gospel. Understand this radical change that happened to this man. He was so one-dimensional under Moses, but under the gospel, he's become a slave to all human beings. This is a transformation of the heart. He's writing this maybe at least 20, maybe 25 years after his conversion. What great patience this man have. How accommodating. This is self-denial at its extreme best. You know what hurts the gospel message? Our inner attitudes towards other people. You know, the voices that we fight inside. Paul was free from that. He didn't put one person against another. He didn't judge the white against the black, the male against the female, the rich against the poor. He was really consistent in his attitudes towards all people. He wasn't superior around the least, and he wouldn't feel inferior around the greatest. He was as even keeled as you can get. To become all things. So I challenge all of us. What does that mean in our interpersonal relationships? Are we cliquish? It drives me crazy. Clicks. You know, it's like you say hello to the same three people and that is it. You go to the gym, it's the same thing, the same two people. No, Paul was not cliquish. Paul was so accommodating. He was so approachable. He was the type of man that could draw your attention because he was concerned for all people. That challenges us. Does it challenge anybody here? Do you find that your life is really defined by narrowness? 
a small group of individuals, and that is it. You can't think outside the box. They got to look like you. They got to sound like you. They got to think like you. They got to be a Met fan or they got to be a Yankee fan. Anything outside of that is anathema. Peter was called, do you know something? Peter was called to be an apostle to who, do you remember? To the Jew. Do you know Peter failed miserably on the mission field? Do you know that? Have you read Galatians chapter 2? Peter failed miserably. When he came to minister to the Gentiles, he was a hypocrite. Galatians chapter 2, forgive me. But the apostle can go anywhere. He was called to be an apostle. But that calling comes with a deep self-denial. Just because Christ calls you to be a minister, Christ calls us to share the gospel, we got to deny ourselves certain inner attitudes, presuppositions about the world and who we go to. I ask you, do you pray for your family to be saved? Do you pray for the annoying neighbor? Do you pray for people that like you? Do you pray for the people that you know don't like you? Do you share the gospel with people that just say hello to you? Or do you make a friend with somebody you know doesn't like you, but God says you go make friends with them? I shared this before. One of the brothers here, forgive me for a second. From the gym, two straight years, I said hello to this guy. All he did was grunt at me. <laughs> like a caveman. <laughs> hey, Joe, how you doing? Good morning. Two years. One day I walked in, he was grunting. I said, I'm not going to say hello to this guy. Just like that. I said that to myself. I'm not saying hello to him. Ten, and I didn't. Ten minutes later, he comes over to me and goes, are you a born-again pastor? He's never said anything to me but grunt. That week he came to church, and eight years later he has never left. He's a deacon in the church now. This is the way God operates. God was showing me something about myself. He's in full control all the time, you know. But if we're going to be in it for the gospel, we're in it all the way. All the way. And this is the most freeing. This is, the, this is Paul calls it a reward, and we're going to get into that. But Paul made sure that his inner attitudes didn't reflect on the outside. People can tell it's like a dog. A dog can tell when you don't want it around him. You know? And people can tense. Like, you know, something like this. This person is not very approachable. You know, it's just, you know, it's, no, we can't be like that. I'm going to challenge you now. You are called to be approachable. And don't blame, well, that's not just who I am. Understand something. It's not who you used to be. When you were dead in sin and transgression. But we're alive in Christ now. You don't have an option. If I'm not becoming more and more and more open to people, then God's doing, not doing something on the inside of me. I'm a, not allowing God to transform my heart. So how does he do it? How does he make himself this, this no part time slave to the gospel he's become all things to all people that's why and he says why does he do it that some may be saved or share its reward you have to stay with me this is where it really gets good okay he wants to share in its reward you know what the word share means to come into being 
to be born, to be begotten, to be created. This is what Paul is saying. The gospel message is a giant door that if you open it up, there's a loving Savior, a loving God, just, just waiting to rain down grace and rain down blessings on someone. And you got to open up this door, and right there is the love of Jesus Christ. But the door has to be open, and sharing is the hinge that the door swings on. Paul is saying, on the hinge, on the door, it swings on that. Yeah, Jesus is the Savior. Jesus has done all the heavy lifting. But if you don't hear the message from the preacher, how can they be saved if they don't hear? Paul is saying, I want to share. I want to be that, I want to be that integral part of the gospel message that the door swings on. He wants to share in the reward of watching someone come out of darkness, of worshiping pagans, of worshiping, uh, uh, living a hedonistic lifestyle like in, 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 in Corinth. He wants to see their mourning and, and, and turn into joy and turn into laughter and turn into singing. They want to see their souls freed from the penalty of sin. You know what the penalty of sin is? It's death. Physical and spiritual death. That's all Paul wanted to see. He wanted to see people come out of darkness. He wanted to see their minds freed from the power of sin. Understand something. As Christians, when I'm witnessing to somebody, they have no idea how bound their mind and their will and their affections are to a sinful world. They cannot get their mind off of this world. The mind of the unregenerate man and woman is bound to this earth. Until this earth, it will live and die. It has no access into heaven unless they are born again of the Holy Spirit when they come to Christ and for Paul that was reward to die to self and accommodate himself to all human beings so they can hear the wonderful message of Christ and be freed from the power of sin man. free from the power of sin Christian if you're a Christian man you're a Christian woman you are freed from the power of sin it just takes a while to learn that and to grow in that and to enjoy that And freed from someone else. From the lies of Satan. You know what 1 John 5.19 says? The whole world lies under the power of the evil one. The whole world is under satanic influence. And they don't know it. Before you and I came to Christ, we didn't know it. I just thought this is the way the world was. Oh, no. Oh, no. There are power brokers out there you don't know until you're born again. And you realize that Satan is influenced in this world. And that Satan was influencing us with his lies and his scheme. He comes to kill. He comes to maim. He comes to destroy. He loves hopelessness. He loves loneliness. He loves addiction. He loves fighting. He loves division. He loves dissension. He loves malice. He loves slander. He loves gossip. And that's who we used to be until Christ freed us. This is the reward when someone gets saved. I, I had the joy yesterday morning of eating breakfast with a brother and coming to faith about a year ago. And we're just talking about the things of the gospel and what God's doing in his heart and his family. And that, 
That's, that's the reward. I'll, go, I'll do anything for that. I'll preach for free. I'll take what I have and I'll give it to you. That's the only thing that can make the soul sing. And you sit there and you think that that relationship yesterday goes on for eternity. For eternity. And this is where I want to interject some teaching. Too many Christians, if not most, they have no idea what it is to rejoice in someone else's salvation. And then they leave. Come in, sit down, leave. Come in, sit down, leave. What's going on? No, nothing. They have no idea that there's other people sitting around them. They have no idea people are going through a hard time. They have no idea some people need to be loved. They have no idea some people need emotional support. They have no idea people need financial support. They have no time for any other human being. How can you rejoice in God's kingdom? God's kingdom is all intangibles of the heart. To sit there and to listen to what other people are going through. And to see what God is doing in someone else's life. Understand something. Paul was a beaten man. He wore the scars of Jesus on him. But his life was so full. He was so loved. And he loved at the same time. This man lived a full life. As Christians, we should be such a slave to the gospel. If that God calls us home right now, he used to say, I lived a full life, man. I got people in my life that love me and I love them. And that's all that counts. And it will be there forever. Nobody, Satan cannot separate the relationships I have built on this earth through the gospel. I will have that relationship for all of eternity. And that's what makes the soul rich. Not things. You can't take nothing to the grave. The only thing we take when we stand before God are two things. Our character... And what we've done for the kingdom. That's it. That's it. Nothing else. He doesn't care about, the, about any accolades you might have had on earth. You were a good this, you were a good that. Care less. You're not a doctor in front of God. You're not a PhD in front of God. You're not a home run champ in front of God. You're not a football hero in front of God. You're not an athlete in front of God. You're either in Adam or you're in Christ. You're a new creation or you're an old man. That's it. God's not impressed by little trinkets of what we think about ourselves or what everybody else said. What a great person they were. No, 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 no. When you stand before God, you stand naked and raw, and that's it. This is Paul's reward to see people coming out of, for Peter. To see a Jew come out of Judaism into, into a transition to the kingdom of Messiah, that's incredible. That's the book of Acts. That's the first eight, nine, ten chapters of Acts. Go read it. Have, have a great time. But it was a transition they were waiting for. They were anticipatory. The Jew was waiting for Messiah. But the pagan world, they had no idea they were serving Satan. They had no idea. And here comes Paul, this itinerant philosopher, preacher, talking about a dead man who died, who rose again. He's coming back to judge the living, and he's coming back to judge the dead. And he's God's Messiah. He's God's Christ. He's God's anointed one. And, and they flock to the message. 
Paul probably died with everything he owned. No bank account. Like his savior, he didn't have a place to lay his head. Like Christ before him, he didn't come to be served, but to serve and give his life for many. Now, for someone to come to salvation and then to understand all the joys of sanctification and being changed and being transformed and to really feel like you're alive for the first time because the Spirit of God is flowing through you. It's like God breathed into you the breath of life and you become a, a born-again child of God and life is real and you, and you get this certain peace and contentment in your heart that you cannot describe in any other way is what Jesus says. It feels like you've been born again. Something new, something fantastic has taken place. For Paul... He would not want to do anything not to be a partaker in that. So he goes on to verses 24 to 27. I want to read those. Can we put those up? Do you not know? Listen to these metaphors. Listen to the intensity of the metaphor. Listen to how Paul approached evangelism. Listen to how Paul approached the Christian life. Listen to how Paul approached his own life of self-denial. Listen to it. And remember something about Corinth. It was the beginning. It was the birthplace of the athletic games. Every two years they would have the athletic uh, the equivalent of the Olympics. And it's still going on today, 2,000 years later. They understood. They had a value system on athletics. They loved their athletes just like we do today. So he goes on. He goes into an athletic metaphor. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all these things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath. But we, an imperishable, do you not... So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one just beating the air. But I discipline my body and keep it under control. Least after preaching to others, I myself should not be disqualified. Before I go on and tell you what this is, let me tell you what it is not. This is not working for your salvation. This has nothing to do with being saved. You don't run the... Jesus ran the race for you. Jesus finished the finish line for you. Jesus is the sinless one who went into heaven for us. Jesus did it. This is not about maintaining salvation. I've heard too many people preach on this. It's like, you got to beat your body. That's, that, that's heresy. You're not saved by that. You're saved because of what Christ has done. Christ ran the race for you, remember. Salvation has nothing to do with this text whatsoever. What Paul is saying here in these uh, metaphors is that he's willing to do anything it takes to share in the reward. He's not going to act in his Jewish uh, sort of self-righteous way anymore. Because you know why? You'd be disqualified. Nobody wants to hear your self-righteous attitude. Take your self-righteous attitude, take your gospel of Jesus, and hit the high road. I want nothing to do with it. Paul's not just going to go to one because he wants to go to the rich and not go to the poor. No, you disqualify that. You don't get to pick and choose who you're going to talk to Jesus about. God brings people into your life, and from there you share the gospel. 
Paul went into strict training. Metaphorically, what he's saying is this. I watch all my inner attitudes. I'm on top of my game at all times. Souls are at stake. The glory of God is at stake. Eternity is at stake. I can't make mistakes with my eyes. I can't mistake, mistake, make mistakes with my words. My attitude's got to be under control at all times. I can't be standoffish. I can't be self-righteous. I can't be malicious. I can't be slanderous. I can't be gossiper. I can't think I'm better than other people. I got to accommodate people. People have to know they can speak to me at all times and all manners, no matter what, and they will have a hearing with me. That's what he said. I train myself to maintain an equilibrium of love. You think you're going to wake up one day and just have this love cloud? And just like be like you have this silly grin, you're just going to love everybody. You might. Maybe you. I hope you do. Christian love is God has freed you and me to make a decision to love all people. Are you a Christian? You possess the Holy Spirit? Then you have it within your grasp right now to be accommodating to any type of personality. Paul says only in one place... Have, be at peace with all men wherever possible. Just sometimes, you know, there's people out there who are so violent against the gospel that you can't speak to them at all. But on a whole, it is our job to be very accommodating. And that's what Paul is saying here. He doesn't live his life in some kind of reckless way and then wake up tomorrow and say, oh, I'm going to share Jesus, but I was a bum all last night. But now I'm just going to change and, and, and share Jesus on Sunday morning. No, he didn't. His whole life... He ran as a spiritual athlete. He was on top of the game of love and patience and kindness at all times. I know the man's teachings. You never heard a rude word come out of the man's life, out of his mouth. And what is the definition of love? Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not boastful. It's not rude. This man wasn't arrogant. When you heard Paul, he didn't talk about himself. He talked about Christ. This is a man that can sit there and listen to what you have to say for an hour and a half without ever even knowing where his background, where he came from. He could care less. He was more concerned about who he was speaking to, not about himself. He was in full control of these inner attitudes at all time. He compares it to a boxer who's going to want to win. And understand something. When he uses this metaphor about running the race and and, and winning the prize, the prize is not heaven. Understand something. The prize is bringing someone to Christ and sharing Christ with someone and their salvation and their sanctification and their falling in love with Jesus. Paul and the Corinthians are enjoying that right now as I preach and as you listen. They're in heaven enjoying each other's fellowship forever. That's the reward. The reward is not just, oh, thanks, but the reward is forever. I will sit down with that gentleman yesterday and we will talk together forever. You and I as a family of God will talk and be with each other forever. With every saint that ever lived in every millennium from the Old Testament to the New Testament, we will know each other that's the reward the reward is telling tell me what Jesus has done for you I just want to hear how Jesus saved you and how Jesus saved you what Jesus is doing in your life and how your life is transformed and you're so happy you're a Christian and that's all Paul wants you know why that's all you need 
That's it. A disqualification for Paul was not to be effective in ministry anymore. Speaking to a friend of mine, surgeon, good man. One of his joys was nursing, nursing people back to health. Got sun in my eye over here. And doing surgery, and he's a good surgeon. His late 50s, he tremors started coming in, and the next thing you knew, he had Parkinson's, and so he tried to fight it. But he couldn't be in the health field anymore. And he says, like, I lost part of me, he said. He goes, as bad as it is, I have to live with something. He goes, I don't have the thing I love the most, of being a surgeon, of being a doctor. He lost, I was taken from him. To be a Christian and not to be used by God. To be a Christian and not to be used effectively by God in people's lives. To bring them to Christ and then help them to mature in Christ and, 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 and go from being uh, babes in Christ to be mature. That's life. And my prayer as a pastor is that this church understand that. And to know the joy of helping other people. Not because I feel good. It's not about feeling good. Understand something. Paul didn't feel good. Physically, he was a beaten down man. But spiritually, he was alive. He was alive. He was alive. He knew what it is to be loved. And he knew what it is to love people. And share Christ effectively with people. How are we running our race? How are we doing on the inside? What's God speaking to our hearts? How do we become more of a spiritual athlete? What's God calling you to train a little harder in? Do you lack the patience? Do you lack the compassion? Do you have a good listening ear? If you're in a conversation, do you have to have the last word? Do you have to have one up on everybody? Does your testimony have to be better than someone else's testimony? Can you just sit back and say nothing and just listen to other people who enjoy their experience with Christ? Where are we? How did this series of sermons speak to your heart? I'll ask you this. Have you tasted the reward? Because if you do... You'll never want to taste anything else. I'm going to tell you that right now. When you know you're being used by God, you never, ever want to lose it. But here's the great thing. How good God is. He never gives up on us. Amen. He never, ever gives up on us. And all we got to do is say, Lord, I heard that sermon. That's what I want. I want to get back. I remember when I was a young Christian and I was used so much by you. And, you know, just over the years, I've gotten a little hard. And, you know, it's just, you know, I got resentful because all I get is rejected. And I'm getting cold and I'm getting clammy on the inside. I'm like the, the Ephesian church. You know, I, I, my orthodoxy is good, but my love is cold. And where are we? What's going on in our hearts? Where does this sermon find you today? Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you that the most important things in life are people. 
There is nothing more important than people that have been created in your image, Father God. Help us, Father God, to see human beings the way you see human beings, Father God. Not as a Jew, not as a Gentile, not as law keepers, and not as those weak, but just people who need salvation, who need to have a real living dynamic relationship with the living God, to come under all the freedom of Christ, freedom from sin, freedom from fear, freedom from uh, Satan, Father God, help us in this endeavor. Help us to be more people-minded, Father, other-minded, God. And help us, Father God, we're all trying to crucify the the selfish man and the selfish woman in us, God. It always gets in the way. It just seems to always be around. Help us, Father God, to become greater slaves to the gospel of Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen.